I'm just a boy from Kansas out to save the world from chronic disease. And I truly mean that. Nobody is in control of your health but you. I can't heal you. Your doctor can't heal you. You have to heal you. And it's all about having the education empowerment to know what you need to be changing within yourself, within your life, to set your soul free and accomplish that best life that we all like to talk about. And I truly believe that the greatest medicine of all is to teach people how not to need it. I'm Brendan Vermeyer, the original Holistic Savage. Welcome to the Holistic Savage Podcast. Perfect. All right, guys, welcome back to the Six Savage Podcast, where we like to talk about all things functional medicine, functional fitness, functional spirituality, and functional psychology, because I truly believe the best medicine of all is teach people how not to need it. So uh, as always, I have a super amazing guest. And, you know, every episode, I just get beside myself with excitement because I know so many cool people, which is honestly how this podcast started is I was like, well, you know, you can only work with people one-on-one and that, that line never ends. So if we really want to have a greater impact, uh, it's like, yo, I need to start like sharing all this amazing expert knowledge from all my friends. So I have my friend Karan Krishnan, the chief scientific officer of Microbiome Labs with us today. Karan, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, and I just want to reiterate what you said in the beginning, how important it is to do these kind of programs where you're getting the word out to a larger mass of people. Um, and that's why I'm always excited and, and um, you know, do whatever I can to join uh, these kind of programs because really at the end of the day, the future of healthcare is going to be in empowering people to understand their bodies, understand how things work, mm-hmm. understand how the world around us impacts them, um, and then how to advocate for themselves, right? I mean, we can't count on our doctors and practitioners to, to keep us healthy. Mm-hmm. Most of the decisions you make um, throughout your day-to-day lives will have an impact on your health in some way or the other. And understanding how those decisions make those impacts are going to be really important in making sure we don't need medicines and we don't need procedures and all mm-hmm. that. So, um, so thank you for having me. That's a long way of saying I appreciate the opportunity yeah. uh, to be able to come on and, and uh, nerd out a little bit. Oh, absolutely. We're going to, we're going to nerd out real hard. And you're so right. Something I'm, uh, I think it says it in like the trailer for my podcast, but um, I kind of get firing. I'm like, you know, nobody can heal you, but you, it's not your practitioner or your doctor's job to heal you. They can't do it. And I think we've really missed, missed something where we've kind of displaced like, oh no, we, we look outwards for somebody else to do things to it. And it's like, no, you have to heal yourself, treat yourself. And, uh, and that's why this, you know, whole holistic savage podcast kind of encompassing everything, functional medicine, but also the, the psychology, the spirituality, because that's the whole holistic model mm-hmm. is we recognize how everything's interconnected. So, um, yeah. I always like to kind of tell like a brief background story of like how I know my guests rather than like a super formal bio. So <laughs> I have to, Tell this story where, um, you know, we didn't officially meet at the FDN conference last year, but you were there yeah. uh, and I knew who you were. And I remember like I had just gotten my, my cute little award for something and, you know, I sit back down and, um, you know, you're wearing this awesome suit and you get up there and I don't remember the joke that you said, 
I was like, who's this guy? Like, who's, <laughs> man, he, like I was just, he, you know, he's like a charming, uh, sharp, charismatic dude. And, and then over the course of this year, I think we've run into each other probably like five times at all yeah. different uh, conferences and stuff. And you really are just a super authentic, genuine dude. And I love how, you know, because let's be real, a lot of people that you start getting that ego, you start doing big yes. things and you start losing connection with like reality and the people that you say you're trying to help. But literally every time I talk to you, you're always very uh, generous with your time your energy, uh, you make people feel heard. And, and I think that's uh, definitely a major reason why you are doing such big things is you aren't losing uh, that, that touch of humanity and, and unconditional love. Oh, well, thank you so much. First of all, that's really kind of you to say. Um, and I do remember, and congratulations on that award that you had won at the FDN conference. Much deserved. Um, and we did get to connect via email, I think, after that, or, or Messenger, one of the many... Uh, technical ways of connecting these yeah. days, um, you know. But but at the end of the day, one of the things my view on all of this is, you know, it's 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 not at all about me, right? And 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 you do see that, right? As people gain um, certain levels of of notoriety or or success, as we may deem it, um, it it can go to your head, and it becomes then about you, and it becomes about you and your brand and. Uh, your value and all of this stuff. And to me, I mean, I'm just, I'm still that kid running around the villages of India. You know, I'm no different than that little kid who didn't know anything at that point um, and had nothing but, um, you know, one roller skate. And, you know, we didn't, I didn't even have a pair of roller skates. And so um, it's it's really about what what we can do to to affect the people around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that microbiome science show is that if you have a healthy microbiome, you actually have more of an altruistic um, worldview. And, and there is a benefit in your own health for improved community structure and improved uh, impact on the people around you, mm-hmm. right? So, so you could be, you know, uh, uh, focus on yourself and, and really, um, you know, centric around your own, uh, world and what's going on with you. That actually has a negative impact over time versus the idea of going out there and being there for other people mm-hmm. that actually has a bigger impact on your overall health. And, and there's biochemistry behind that, you know, because mm-hmm. in part humans, part of our way of being successful throughout the course of evolution was that cooperative nature of humans. Right. In the same way ants do it, in the same way um, other, you know, more lower ordered um, creatures do it, where they can maintain success because they maintain community, they they support one another, and each individual is out there looking out for others versus themselves completely. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you have to look out to your, for yourself to some degree, but you know, having that kind of community mind and, and not getting inflated is is something that I think is extremely important. So thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's always going to be about what can we do for other people around us, right? Yeah, I I love that we started that way because I think that almost is probably one of the the biggest focal points I like to really highlight. I think what's really fun and exciting about kind of the functional medicine industry 
is the line in between objective hard science versus kind of the the out there the uh, divine intuition the spirituality that line is getting really blurry because we're blazing trails with we're really starting to see a lot of objective evidence that mm -hmm. really reiterates things that I think we've always intuitively uh, known and valued and understood as as a species a uh, a tribal species a uh, species that that really operates from a community sort of biological function and and I think that's what's gonna be really fun about getting into this conversation of how you know the way our microbiome is is working as this um, you know this this colony this uh, community uh, and you know we we love to take that reductionistic like oh well this bacteria is bad and it's like well it's it's yeah. part of the bigger picture and I think yeah. What's really cool about what you just said is we just immediately zoomed out to look at the bigger picture and, you know, does uh, positive psychology and, and being um, not self-centered, you know, how does that improve gut health and vice versa? And the thing is, we don't necessarily always know, but like it doesn't always really matter because it all goes right. in hand. And as we cultivate uh, all the above, we're going to see that improved uh, growth and in, in health and, and all the above. So you're a research microbiologist by trade, yeah. yes? Yeah, exactly. So that was your background. You're in college doing research and all about microbiology? Uh, all about bugs uh, and working on a small scale, you know, working, working in petri dishes and tissue culture systems. Um, and, then, and that was really fascinating to me. I, I loved getting down to the, to the smaller structures and understanding what's happening mechanistically between our cells and microbes and how they influence us and how they influence one another and those community structures because bacteria are so fascinating. You know, if you think about it, bacteria were the original life forms on this planet, yeah. you know, over 3 billion years old. They are still the predominant life form. And then they control more complex life forms like ourselves, mm -hmm. right? The moment we think we are that cool, that we're at the top of the evolutionary ladder, we're top of the food chain, we're so smart, we do all of these amazing things. But it comes down when it comes down to it, what we have to realize is we are really controlled by bacteria. Mm -hmm. You know, a rogue microbe can end us like this. You know, or the thousands of microbes that work together to make us function. You know, they play a significant role in us being human. But they're just such simple creatures. They're single cell organisms mm -hmm. with not a lot of complexity to them. But the way they function and the reason why they're so powerful is because of their community structures. You know, and so that that is a really important thing. Um, I, I think there's there's a famous uh, Nobel laureate microbiologist that said um, that you know even through the apocalypse, they're really only going to be a couple of creatures that will survive and it's and it's going to be ants and termites and i think something like cockroaches and and the one uh, common thing among all of these um organisms that will survive through an ap uh, apocalyptic um event is that they are really community driven uh, organisms they work together each one on them by themselves is not all that special but when you put them together and their resources together, they become really significant. So understanding that part, then with my research, I wanted to go bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, like I, I spent a lot of time working on the minute, and then I wanted to go to the clinical level. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I got into the clinical research side of things, because I wanted to see understanding the, the minute mechanisms, how does that impact 
bigger picture outcomes, you know, health outcomes and so on. So right after leaving university research, first thing I did was founded a, a CRO, which is a clinical research organization, to do contract clinical work for um, nutritional and food companies. So I started designing and running my own human clinical trials uh, on behalf of other companies and, uh, and trying to come up with more clever ways of actually doing trials because trials are really expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and most clinical trials are designed around the pharmaceutical method and, and the outcomes and the way you power a trial, meaning how many people you need in the trial to make it significant and so on. All those things are designed around pharmaceutical mechanisms. And so we wanted to take a step back and, and really kind of take a smarter approach to nutritional research that didn't require as much money, didn't require as large studies, and also looked at different outcomes than, say, uh, you know, common disease outcomes. Mm-hmm. So that's how then I jumped into this whole world of, you know, supplements and nutrition and all that. I became a researcher in the space. Mm-hmm. I love that though, and and so glad that you did. And I, I think that's what's really cool too is uh, there really is that space. You know, there's the people in the lab doing research uh, to you know have that objective data to validate what what we think and our hypothesis, and mm-hmm. you know, and then it's like the practitioners, clinicians, doctors. You know, they're they're kind of on the front lines, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of experimentation, and I think. Um, you know, there chances are I'm going to ruffle some feathers in this podcast, but you know, I I, I like to consider myself like truth seeker. At least I mm-hmm. I like to because at the end of the day, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes down in probably any industry. But um, you know, it's at the end of the day, like what drives positive clinical outcomes? Uh, yeah, we have to have the objective data to support that, and then we also kind of have to blaze those new trails. And I like what you said uh, about you know we like to think we're so smart because. Um, you know, one thing I try to live by is if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Um, (laughs) But I also, I always tell people, uh, you know, listen to your gut and go, go with what that says, obviously kind of a old school line. But at the end of the day, I always joke like, no, your gut's way smarter than you. So like, don't, don't try to fight it. Your microbiome is way smarter than you. Yeah. Um, And I think also too, we're kind of at this point where I think our, technology with like testing and you know we'll, we'll definitely have to talk about stool testing at some point um but our technology has kind of surpassed our understanding in a lot of ways i think with um you see all these different labs trying to kind of measure and quantify and isolate all these different bacterial strains and then extrapolate some sort of clinical recommendation from that and uh, i feel like i'm seeing a lot of people chasing bugs you know, mm-hmm. they're chasing bugs. And it's like, but is that actually, you know, driving positive clinical outcomes? So, yeah. so you, uh, your, your main company, Microbiome Labs, um, I'd love to hear kind of the, the, you know, 101 for those that aren't familiar, although I'm pretty sure most of my listeners probably would be familiar. Um, but Microbiome Labs, you know, tell us about like, you know, you had your initial product with the Megaspore and that's, that's where right. the legend begins. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, the company really was born out of a pure need. I, I had never um, imagined that I would, I would have my own brand or product company out there. That wasn't part of the plan. Um, we were perfectly happy being behind the scenes, doing the science for other companies, helping companies develop products. Um, you know, it, it's a whole other 
ball of wax when you go to the when you go you know in front of the curtain rather than behind the curtain and you start talking about a brand that has your name and your stuff associated with it um, so that was never really part of the plan but we were we were hired by a large multinational company to study the probiotic marketplace mm. and to study probiotics in general like the way people were going about developing uh, probiotics the approach that was taken and whether or not you know these the 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 formulations made sense is did we need 200 billion or do we need 50 billion is there a difference um you know do we need 17 strains or 25 strains or three strains and should it be refrigerated or non-refrigerated those are all kind of the basic questions that this company had mm-hmm. in uh, in trying to understand what should be a, a next generation of probiotics and so going through all of that we found a lot of dysfunction in the marketplace you know we found that the vast majority of probiotic products were put together in in a way that I call kitchen sink formulation, right? It's basically like, let's just throw a whole bunch of stuff in here mm-hmm. without any real specific rhyme or reason for why these strains are, are, um, are all put together. And then the other thing that's really interesting is if we look at the vast majority of probiotics on the marketplace, they're based on lactobacillus, right, and bifidobacteria. But let's take lactobacillus because lactobacillus is still the predominant probiotics um, genus out there. Mm-hmm. And then there's several species that are used, but the predominant genus is lactobacillus. And then I, I started thinking, like, why are we dominated <clears throat> by lactobacillus mm-hmm. as far as our therapeutic use of, of bacteria? Because when you think about it and you really look at the human microbiome, lactobacillus makes up less than 1% of your total microbiome, mm-hmm. right? What about the other 99% of, of genus and species that are in the gut? You know, why is it that every product on the shelf is basically a lactobacillus product? And then you start to dig back into the history and you kind of understand, okay, that's what came from dairy fermentation. That's where it started. And then somebody in the 60s decided to take the dairy fermenting bugs, which lactobacillus is good at doing, um, and then isolate them and put them in capsules and create this category of oral probiotics. Um, and then and then every company just kind of builds on that same mentality, you know, without the idea, without thinking beyond it and going outside of the box and going, is there something else in the gut that could possibly be beneficial? Uh, something outside of this 0.9% of the genus that's actually in the system, right? And so, um, so th- we saw all of these problems, and most of them aren't surviving through the gastric system. All the refrigerated stuff is kept alive because it's in the refrigerator, and then the moment you put them into your 98.6-degree body, it dies. So all of that stuff was a big confusion. And when we came back to the to the company that hired us to do this work, and we kind of put together a big report on it, um, they said, you know, this work is great, but we just got acquired by a larger company, and so we're not going to be doing anything with this. Mm-hmm. And so we said, okay, that left us with the with the um, the understanding that there's this multi billion dollar market growing rapidly that was really going in the totally wrong direction. You know, so do we sit around and go, well, we did our work, what we were hired to do, or do we go, we should try to make a change in this space, you know? And so our first instinct, again, with the complete hesitation of doing our own brand, our own product, we actually went to other companies in this space and said, hey, here's the information we found out. Here's what we think the next generation of probiotics should be like. Um, and, and, you know, we're here to help and recommend and formulate and so on. 
we talked about four or five companies and they all passed on it. They didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. They also were vested in the old way. They had three, four different brands in the market that had kind of the old story of probiotics. And so we said, you know what, we're going to have to do this ourselves. And then myself and my business partner, Tom, who you've met, uh, who is a functional medicine practitioner, uh, he's a chiropractor that focused on the gut for the last 20 years and had used virtually every probiotic on the market um, and wasn't really finding anything that, that really helped him that much in the clinical setting, you know, said, we got to do this. And so that's how we started Microbiome Labs was purely from that need to start making a change and driving, trying to drive the industry in a different direction, um, or at least open up a new direction, mm-hmm. you know, so that we could start expanding our view on what bacteria are in the gut, what can be therapeutic, what should be used, um, and taking a different approach to it. So that's that's basically how we started the company, and it was purely out of just a significant need. Yeah. To to um, you know switch lanes mm-hmm. and um, you know because a part of it is I, I I have a very very strong belief that bacteria are going to be our salvation to a lot of things because bacteria can be the cause of a lot of things and bacteria controls so many things mm-hmm. and so if we're not utilizing them properly we're really missing a huge toolbox in our in our um, set of equipment to to make ourselves healthier. Totally. I love that origin story. So cool. And, you know, I think the universe kind of works in mysterious ways where um, it presents your path and it, you know, you're kind of <clears throat> stumbling around in the dark and then, you know, you feel that, that ray of something that feels right. And so I love that where it's, it's like, you know, the universe is shining upon you of like, you know, I, I know you don't, you, you don't want to step into, but you know, you rose to the challenge and, and here we are, you're traveling the world, lecturing constantly um, and doing amazing things. And so with the next generation of uh, probiotics, <clears throat> maybe just like the basics on, you know, bacillus strains and, and the spore-based biotics, because um, so many people always are asking, because it, it, it's still, we're still in that transition. You know, I, I think yeah. you guys are having a tremendous impact, um, but there are still a lot still stuck in the, oh, no, you need 100 billion colonies of your bifidolacto, you know, mm-hmm blend, whatever. Um, so why spores? Yeah. So, you know, when we started looking at, okay, what should be a probiotic or what, what should be the next generation of probiotics? We asked ourselves a simple question and that's where did our ancestors get their bacterial exposure? Mm-hmm. You know, where did they get their probiotics from? Because this really intimate and unique relationship we have with bacteria in our system um, doesn't occur overnight. It occurs over thousands of years of coevolution. You know, we're, at a, we're in a place where we give out a lot of the control of our immune system to bacteria, which is insane because the immune system is the only system we have in our body to protect us from the world around us. And yet our bacteria you know, foreign entities, if you will, control yeah. that immune system. It's it's the same as as putting a hundred percent of our control, or even sixty or seventy percent of the control of our military to another country. Yeah. You know, um, that that's that's the analogy one would use to understand what's going on in this relationship with bacteria. Every part of our body is covered in microbes. People used to think that urine is sterile, your, your, your blood system is sterile, the womb is sterile. None of those things are sterile. In our blood, 
for every five mLs of blood, you've got over a thousand bacteria cells in there, mm-hmm. you know, and we have around 5,500 milliliters of blood. So do 5,500 times a thousand, that's how many bacteria cells we have floating around in our blood. You know, 10, 15 years ago, if, if a doctor saw bacteria in your blood, they'd be freaking out that you're having sepsis or some sort of bacterial poisoning, right? And so that kind of intimate, intricate relationship that we have with microbes um, has occurred over millions of years of evolution, and it's, and it's done through pure happenstance and pure um, significant exposure, mm-hmm. right? If we weren't exposed to microbes all the time, we wouldn't have this relationship with them. And so we know, uh, you know, with, with a great sense of understanding where a lot of microbes in our gut come from. They come from the birthing process through mom, passing through the vaginal canal, early interactions with mom and dad and, and community uh, members within the first couple of years of life, that all helps establish our microbiome in our gut, on our skin, in our in our eyes, mucosal tissue, and so on. But the rest of our lives, we are exposed to microbes in the outside environment. And our simple question was, does that uh, the, the environmental bacteria in some way play a role as a probiotic or even play a role in our overall health and wellness? And then you start to see these kind of uh, population studies that were done in Japan and in Russia and all that, where they compared the overall health outcomes, the diversity and strength of the microbiome, and so on between people who lived in urban areas and rural areas. And and the clear difference between urban and rural areas is the exposure to environmental bacteria. People in urban areas tend to live in more sterile environments, in concrete buildings and jungles. Um, you know, people in the rural areas live in farms that are far more exposed to the outside environment. So looking at those things, we it became clear that there's empirical data and, and, and to some sense, um, you know, real objective data that being exposed to environmental bacteria has a beneficial impact on your constitution. So we said then, okay, what microbes within the environment could actually play a role as a probiotic? And as it, as it turns out, the vast majority of microbes in the environment can't act as a probiotic because most of them will die going through your gastric system, and your gastric system is designed to do that. Mm-hmm. You get then, instead of whole live microbes that you're being exposed to, you get fragments of microbes that you're exposed to. And that actually can have a beneficial impact on your system. It has a, a method of upregulating some of your immune responses. It, it can change some of the DNA expression within your microbiota. So it has kind of this daily jolting of your system type of uh, response. But very few microbes within the environment actually have this natural capability to survive this harsh gastric system. Mm-hmm. And, and for those of your listeners that don't really understand how harsh this gastric system is, to a microbe, you know, first it has to pass through the acid wash in your stomach. The the hydrochloric acid in your stomach is is so potent that if you could touch it with your finger, it would burn off the tips of your of your skin. You would lose your fingerprints, if you will, right? So that's how strong it is, and it essentially kills bacteria. Then if it makes it past that somehow, then the next thing that kills bacteria is your bile salts. Bile salts are really strong antimicrobials. And then after that, it's a pancreatic enzyme. So before you can even get to the site of action, you've got these three major gauntlets to get through as a microbe in order to get into the intestines as a living organism. Mm -hmm. So our view is if there's a microbe that is naturally adapted to making it past all of those 
checkpoints, then there, there must be some evolutionary significance for them to function in the gut. That's where the spores came in. So we started finding that within the environment, there are these bacteria that have these natural spore uh, um, you know, formation capability. They cover themselves in this protein calcified armor-like system, and, and that allows them to survive through this gauntlet. And then we started looking for evidence that these spores have benefit within the gut. And then, as it turns out, they've been used in Europe and Latin America in the prescription drug market for over 60 years. Hmm. And so we saw that, you know, they have significant impact in the gut. Uh, they have been used for a long period of time. They're naturally designed to survive through the gastric system, which is what you want to look for in a natural probiotic. And we were just not utilizing them in the U.S., and so we kind of honed in on the spores and said, okay, what all can we learn about these bacteria and what all can they do in the gut? And we started to find some really fascinating functions that they had within the gut. And these are functions that we've largely outsourced to these bacteria because we can't do them ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's intense stuff. You know, you, you kind of start feeling sorry for these microorganisms as they're trying to make it through the gauntlets, like the gladiator, Indiana Jones or something like that. Yes. But, you know, and, and that's kind of the big thing. A lot of people, again, are still caught in that mindset of just billions of colonies down the throat. But uh, if none of them are actually making it down into the intestines, then it's uh, kind of... It's, it's not changing the microbiome, right? So right. our our whole goal and, and the reason why we call the company Microbiome Labs was the idea of really understanding the microbiome and then understanding the community structures within the microbiome. And then ultimately how those community structures impact health, mm -hmm. you know, and then when we understand how the community structures impact health, then we can go in with ways of, of intervening or modulating the community structure. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the basic premise behind what we do, you know, and, and it started with the spores because as it turns out in the, in the prescription world, they use the spores as a treatment for gut infections, mm -hmm. right? So one of the first stories actually on Bacillus subtilis, one of the most well-studied um, bacterial strains in the world, not only just spore, but well-studied bacterial strains, everyone that's going into microbiology research, there are two bacteria that you end up working with early on in your training. One is E. coli and the other is Bacillus subtilis. Mm -hmm. These are the two most well-studied and well-understood bacteria in the world, hands down, and we use it a lot in microbial research. Um, so Bacillus subtilis is one of the main spores that we work with. And um, one of the early stories on how it was discovered as a potential therapeutic tool for, for gut infections was uh, during World War II. Hmm. Uh, the German army was in North Africa. That was part of their campaign. And, and the German soldiers were getting uh, killed off, not by the war, but by dysentery yeah. and infections from the water and so on. They, they also noticed that the locals, uh, the North Africans, when they would get sick or they would get stomach upset, what they would do is they would take dried camel dung and they would consume it. Hmm. And that dried camel dung has this therapeutic benefit in the gut. And so they took a bunch of dried camel dung back and then uh, they tried to isolate compounds within the dried camel dung that actually had this, this inhibitory effect in the gut of infections, and they found that it was Bacillus subtilis. Hmm. You know, the camel's picking this up from all over the environment, and it's it's fermenting in its gut, and it's coming out in the dung, and it's in spore form, and it's survived through the entire camel's digestive process, and it's come back out into the environment as a living organism. And that's where the first uh, Bacillus-based probiotic was launched. It was launched as a prescription treatment 
for dysentery, for gut infections, you know? And so we, we understanding that if you understand that the bacteria can somehow find pathogenic or infective bacteria within this milieu of hundreds or trillions of bacteria cells, then it has real special capability of reading the microbial environment. And that's something called quorum sensing, which is a really fascinating area of study where microbes and cells all read one another's chemical signatures to understand who's there and in what amounts and so on. So they read the community structure. So these spores have this amazing ability to go in read the community structure, find this infective bacteria among the trillions of other bacteria that are there, hone in on them and bring their levels down. Mm -hmm. So having that capability, it stood to reason to us that if they can find bad bacteria and bring their levels down, perhaps they can also enhance good bacteria Mm -hmm. that that aren't performing in the levels that they should be. And so that was kind of our reasoning, you know, and and so we started studying the ability of these spores to change that microbiome community and change the output of the community as measured by things like short chain fatty acids and gas production and all of these things we know have an impact on our health. So so that's the that, that was kind of our clinical and scientific reasoning on on how we approach making an impact on the microbiome. And it starts with using these spores and their ability to read and change the microbiota. Mm-hmm. So cool. So fascinating. And, and that's kind of the thing. I think sometimes it's easy. Uh, and again, maybe that's a, a human ego phenomena where we get so hyper-focused on isolated things mm-hmm. that we lose sight of the bigger picture. Because yeah, when you look at nature, hey, something about nature works because we're here today. And, you know, it definitely seems the farther that our species gets from more kind of natural living, the worse things get. And I think uh, that's why, you know, gut health, like, you know, back in the day when I started my career, if you knew anything about hormones, you were like, cool, it was real cool. Whereas now, you know, you see everybody's talking about gut health. And of course, you know, with any kind of, um, you know, popular new subject, there's going to be uh, bandwagons that maybe are headed for a cliff, but um, overall, though the the spreading awareness is is good, and um, I think in today's world with the we just have this like slash and burn mentality, and uh, definitely in in like the clinical world, a lot of like okay infection, like go kill kill kill. And I remember um, uh, you were doing, I think it was for Rebel Health Tribe or something. It was like the first time I'd really heard you present. On like the total gut restoration system, yeah. And, you know, you just had this um, like, why are we always trying to kill? Why are we not trying to uh, change the environment, modulate the environment? You know, boost the short chain fatty acids. Like, let's improve because there's, and that's something I, I train all my practitioners is like, there's a big difference between we're going to kill stuff versus we're trying to really heal the gut. We're trying to change mm-hmm. the community, and I think that's what's so cool. You know, I, I love studying your products and how they work. Um, Because these things are so intelligent. And again, we're talking about bacteria that they've been around a lot longer than us. And the quorum sensing is super cool. And so it's like we're dropping these like Navy SEAL spores down in there. And they're working magic. And, um, you know, I think it's it's starting. I mean, in the functional world, it's very well, you know, uh, acknowledged and accepted of like, and I say it all the time of like, okay, gut health is the, the foundation of your overall you know, metabolic health. Um, but I think that's kind of the big thing is like, is there any chronic disease 
that isn't somehow connected back to all these little critters in our body, you know? Yeah, and that's that's a, and that's a you know really important question to ask. Um, and so I did an interview recently with um, Jeffrey Smith. I don't know if you know him from uh, the big GMO. Um, uh, you know, he he's the guy that's been out there anti GMOs, anti Roundup for years now, um, doing a lot of work in that area. And I did a um, interview with him. And and he sprung this on me where he had about thirty seven or thirty eight common conditions, mm. and and he we did a rapid fire thing where he named the condition and he wanted me to kind of name is there a connection to the microbiome and can I explain it and so and we did and every one of the conditions he named mm. there's somehow tied back to the microbiome and if you look at you know you, the name of your your brand the metabolic solutions. Um, when we think about our metabolic processes within our body, some of the latest estimates are over 90% of all our metabolic function is coded for by bacterial DNA rather than our own DNA, right? We have 150 times more bacterial DNA in our system than human DNA. And, and so all of these proteins that we make, all of these enzymes and uh, coenzymes and you know all of these compounds that affect our metabolic system, which makes us human, most of those are are uh, conducted by bacterial um, DNA and RNA in in many instances as well. So we really have to respect and understand that nature has kind of created this organism that we are. This holobiome is a word I love to use. It it means a super organism. Um, you know, we're a walking, talking rainforest. We're made up yeah. of thousands of microecologies. Um, that all have to work and communicate together in order to perpetuate the health of the of the whole, and 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 the moment we can kind of understand and start putting ourselves back into the environment that we're supposed to be in, right. um, that's when we'll start to see profound changes in our overall health. One of the analogies I always give, uh, it, it, it often at talks that I that I do, is that we are a microbial construct right? We are predominantly bacteria. We are predominantly bacterial DNA. We are predominantly bacterial metabolic capability. And, and we know that every single square millimeter of our body is covered with some sort of bacteria that functions to keep that area functioning. Mm -hmm. And all of these microbial communities that we are made up of uh, have to communicate and work together in order to keep us healthy and functioning. So we are a microbial construct without a doubt, and we've taken this elegant microbial construct and put it in an antimicrobial world, right? right? Everything around us that we have designed kills the way we're made, yes. right? And so uh, we, we were really constantly shooting ourselves in the foot. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, my, my push has been, you know, let's remember the ecology of our body. Let's go back to trying to balance the ecology rather than slash and burn, slash right. and burn, you know? And, and, and the thing is, um, functional medicine, uh, which, which is, is what I love and I think is really the future of, of healthcare and medicine, um, does still have its, its um, you know, umbilical cord to allopathic medicine. Right. Because even within functional medicine, we want to follow those same regimens, right? Mm -hmm. We still, it becomes easier to practice if you have tests, you know, intervention, test, intervention, right. test, intervention. And then often interventions are kill, uh, stop this, intervene there. 
and that's more of an allopathic approach still, right? And like a take SIBO, for example, right? The vast majority of SIBO therapy right now is about killing bacteria in the small bowel. Yep. That's what everyone is doing. And that's that's really the answer so far. My question that I keep asking in SIBO conferences and all that is, why are those bacteria there? Why are they overgrown? How? Why are we not going after the root cause, which is what functional medicine should be about, mm-hmm. of why this problem exists in the first place? We are so focused on the distension and the discomfort yeah. and the bloating and how do we stop the bloating and can we kill, kill, kill? Should we use antibiotics? Should we use a combination of antibiotics and antimicrobials? Should we eliminate the diet? of nutrients that can be fermented, which is so important for your large bowel, Mm -hmm. um, just to manage the symptom of bloat, right? right? And and so in many instances, we will go full allopathic, even in the functional medicine world, and focus so much on the symptom, rather than going back to the root cause and going, what's wrong with the fundamental ecology here, where these microbes are allowed to be there and allowed to be overgrown? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a root cause to it. And that's one of the things, you know, I try to talk about as much as I can. Yeah, no, I love that. And and you're so right. That's something where, you know, like, uh, you know, my background and, and my tribe of practitioners and everything, because um, I do, I see that a lot where a lot of, you know, more medical background people that get into the functional space, it is still a very kind of allopathic and at times reductionistic, whereas, um, I do find that sometimes people that are coming into the functional space more from like a holistic health coaching type type of background, they seem to, I don't know, they the thought process is different. The critical thinking is different, kind of a more uh, natural hierarchy to the way that biology should be. And instead of kind of like, oh, we have we have control, we can control. And it's like, yeah, we, we don't really have a lot of control. Uh, I think we need to realize nature is a lot smarter than us but as you said you know we we do we're operating in this you know sterile world of uh gosh c-section you get cut out and then Mm -hmm. immediately you know wiped down and uh pumped full of vaccines and antibiotics and you know rub your it's a mess it's a nightmare and so i feel like uh gosh uh, you know has gut health and in our Biology ever been more compromised or more under threat? And I absolutely, there's such a overwhelming amount of, of evidence with um, all sorts of chronic diseases. Because like we're not we're not our species isn't dying off because of these you know crazy acute things. It's, uh-huh. it's these chronic. It's the autoimmunity. It's the cancer. It's the heart disease. And you know every single one of these things, as you were saying, we can link back to. Uh, microbiome uh, related imbalances. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about uh, that that connection so people understand that more of, you know, chronic inflammatory diseases mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, compromised GI health, endotoxemia. Um, I write a lot about this stuff on my blog and everything. And, and then I think we'll have to talk about ketosis too at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's it's really important. If you look at like still the top four or five things that kill people in the Western world, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, um, osteoporosis, all of these chronic illnesses, um, and then autoimmune disease. And, and it, it's it's interesting to look at that we've actually created diseases for ourselves in the last couple of decades that we didn't previously have to deal with, right? Yeah. So 
30 years ago, there were something like 25 or 30 known autoimmune diseases. Yeah. And then now we've got over 110 new autoimmune, yeah. different autoimmune diseases. So in, in the last 30 or so years, because of our corrupt way of, of surrounding ourselves with things that destroy our ecology, um, our inner ecology, mm. that, that we've kind of created new conditions that we have to deal with. And, and everything, diabetes, which used to be thought of as um, you know, just nothing but hyperglycemia to, you know, poor diet, and then all of a sudden you end up with type 2 diabetes, or um, uh, heart disease, which used to be thought of like a plumbing issue. You know, you're getting too much fat in your diet, it's accumulating in your arteries, and you're cl closing up your plumbing system, and that's going to lead to a heart attack. Um, cancer, um, you know, which, which had a different frame of mind, all of these things are now understood to be inflammatory conditions, mm -hmm. right? They're all driven by chronic low-grade inflammation. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the inflammation that serves one actually drives the other, and that's why many of these are called comorbidities, mm -hmm. right? So typically, right. if you have diabetes, you have four times the risk now for heart disease mm -hmm. and two and a half times the risk of cancer. Uh, same thing if you have heart disease, you have double the risk for diabetes and you have double the risk for cancer. So all of these things go hand in hand, yeah. all because they come from the same origin. And when you look into the research and you kind of start really going backwards into where is this inflammation coming from, it all starts with the gut, mm -hmm. right? The biggest uh, source of chronic low-grade inflammation is that leakiness in the gut. Yeah. And that is something that occurs over decades. And it, and it persists over decades. And then it lays down the foundation for disease. Most autoimmune conditions are driven by it. Mm -hmm. Diabetes is driven by it, as, as is indicated and studied by the American Diabetic Association themselves. You know, these big research institutes are usually the least progressive yeah. and, and are stuck in really old mentalities, right? It took the American Heart Association a long time to come around from the old 1950s Enso Keys idea yeah. of dietary cholesterol, you know, being the the root cause of heart disease, right. you know, they finally come around to it. You know, it took them you know 50 years, um, but but the American Diabetic Association has published more on the idea of leaky gut and endotoxemia driving diabetes than any other research organization. So they're getting more progressive, and because they're, they're starting to see that their approaches have failed and the, the, the prevalence of these diseases continue to rise. And so the, maybe they need to say, take a step back and look at different uh, root causes. Mm -hmm. and, and same with the American Heart Association. They're showing that interleukin-1-beta is a major driver of, of the development and onset of heart disease. And, and a huge driver of interleukin-1-beta is endotoxemia, mm -hmm. which is, arises from uh, you know, permeable intestines. So all of these conditions, including things like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, cancers, are all driven by this chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation comes from dysbiosis in the gut. Mm -hmm. And dysbiosis in the gut comes from the environment that we've put ourselves in, right? So we've got this really functional, amazing um, ecology of bacteria and, and viruses and uh, protozoa and all of these things within our, uh, within our gut that protect us from this inflammation. 
But like you said, from day one, you know, 33, 35% of births are C-section. So yeah. babies are being pulled out without getting that proper inoculum. Um, they're shot full of vaccines, like you said, which impacts the inoculum. They're, you know, on average, the American child is, goes through one or two courses of antibiotics within the first two, two to three years of life. Mm. That has a huge impact on your microbiome. The chlorine in our drinking water, the fluoride in our drinking water, all the pesticides that are everywhere are all strong antimicrobials, all of the antimicrobials in your food sources. So everything around us is designed to destroy this ecology that's mm-hmm. designed to protect us from inflammation. And so it, it, it rises with the tide of increased use of, of, in, of uh, dysfunctional antimicrobials um, it, the the prevalence of these diseases continue to increase. There's a reason why these diseases are a modern phenomenon in first world countries. And right. you see the same prevalence rate in third world countries, mm-hmm. right? Where they are more concerned about things like uh, malaria and E. coli right. and, you know, infections that we had under control uh, for a long time. They don't see the same chronic illness epidemic that we see, which comes from, antimicrobial world that we've put our microbial system in and that microbial system can no longer function to stop the leakiness in the gut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it was so well depicted and it's honestly, it's terrifying. I mean, you know, the amount of like life state in the environment or the antibiotics and vaccines, um, in, in definitely the, where it's like the functional medicine and, and holistic health space, you know, we're all over this. We're all about, you know, um, I don't know that everybody has their practices down yet, but we're, we're getting there. But the general public still very like, wait, there's connection between my depression and my gut health. There's connection between, you know, my diabetes, my heart disease, my Alzheimer's, whatever it is. Um, and then of course too, and again, this is kind of where I, I have a lot of fun with this uh, as you know, my background as a trainer and nutrition dude. Um, and to me, it was just like, how can I possibly help somebody reach their health goals without uh, a more science-based uh, approach and having some objective data to go off. And so then, of course, too, you know, we have everybody, when they think of, I want to improve my health, you know, what do they do? Well, they start working out, they eat less. You know, we're still caught in that diet and exercise thing. And I'm, this is something I'm super, uh, I get fired up about. Because mm-hmm. I'm one of the few that really, okay, let me get out of the fitness industry and like, let's really get to the heart of what we need to do here. Um, but then, of course, too, like with uh, ketosis, which everybody's looking for that magical diet. And yeah. my God, have we overcomplicated nutrition? Holy crap, Absolutely. it's mind-blowing. Yeah. And, you know, keto, again, like when I started my career, if you were a keto person, you were cool. If you knew something about hormones, you were cool. Um, whereas now, oh, my gosh, I just saw that, you know, after Paleo FX, there was like KetoCon or something like that. And mm-hmm. everybody's raving about keto now. Um, and you know, from what I've experienced and read and looked into, it's like, oh, well, you know, when you've got saturated fat transporting lipopolysaccharides across the mucosal barrier and, and, you know, inducing more inflammation, like shoot. So I'd love to hear, you know, what your thoughts are on, um, diet and influencing mm-hmm. our, our microbiome too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the the keto thing is is troubling to me, um, and, and you know, and I think people love it's so much simpler to kind of fall into a camp, right? And and when you're in a camp, you feel like you're part of a community again, and 
and it's and it, and it's self perpetuating and it and it uplifts your understanding. Um, but again, and this happens in politics and sports and all of that stuff, right? Everybody has their team. Yeah. And um, and the problem with that is you become blinded by just following one channel. The keto thing is interesting and where it came from, um, you know, and, and like you said, it, it was one of the things that's a, like a diet magic bullet, right? We've gone for a long period of time demonizing fat. Yeah. Right. And, and and that was, of course, wrong in many different ways as well. And so now we've come kind of to the full end of that spectrum and going, fat is not bad. Fat is actually good. In fact, fat is so good, it should be the only thing you eat. We've gone nuts. We've gone yeah. we've swung to the other end, right? Yeah. Um and, and the and the thing is, you know, it makes it helps you make a name for yourself if you are that extreme on on things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's 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 the carnivore diet now. Right? It's just kind yeah. of picking up steam and talking about paleo effects. I met people at paleo, like a guy I met who's trying to deal with health issues and weight issues and all that. And his diet is he eats two steaks a day. That's it, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and nothing else, like literally nothing else, just two steaks a day. And I'm like holy cow. And he's like, you know, I read this book about the carnivore diet and it worked well for this one dude. And, you know, so he claims. And so I'm like, well, that's, you know, that you need a little bit more of an objective worldview on like this one person ate steaks and became healthy. So I'm going to do this all the time. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. Anytime to me, a diet is named it's likely not a good idea, right? <laughs> you know, like if you can go, like I am vegan, I am paleo, I am vegetarian. I'm. If there's a name to the diet, it's likely not supportive of overall natural functional health, mm-hmm. right? Because our ancestors and throughout ninety nine point nine percent of human evolution, we did not have the luxury to diet. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the luxury to just choose how we wanted to eat in a very narrow range and follow that, right? We were omnivores and we yeah. ate what we could. Uh, one of the things, and, and I explained this part of, of evolutionary biology to people a lot, one of the things that has allowed humans to move up the evolutionary ladder and up the food chain is the fact that we eat and can eat a lot of different things. We are omnivores. So um, take a lion, for example, right? Which is an, uh, a lion is an obligate carnivore. Right, which means it cannot eat plant-based foods. Its system is not designed to absorb calories and 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 get sustenance from plant-based foods. So a lion has to eat meat. And and looking at the savanna, one of its main uh, targets are like wildebeest, right? And and if there's a drought and the wildebeest population is low, the lion is going to die because it doesn't have a food source. It can't go and start eating shrubs. And start eating, you know, insects and 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 nuts. It will just die, and it it drops down in the food chain and evolutionary ladder. Same thing with the wildebeest, which is an obligate herbivore. You know, if there's a drought and its food source is not there, it's going to die. But the human in the savanna, if there's a drought, can start digging uh, under the ground and looking for roots and tubers. It can start eating insects. Humans can eat termites. Mm-hmm. You know, humans can boil and drink uh, the, the tea off a of bark of a tree. 
Uh, you know, I mean, we can do so many things to continue moving up the evolutionary ladder and the food chain because we are omnivores. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and we are designed clearly to eat a large variety of things. Um, studies show that our ancestors ate 600 different types of foods annually and seasonally. You know, they ate what was available during the season. And so, um, you know, that to me is the most important view on the whole idea of diet. It's eating real food, which is what I liked about the paleo movement, mm -hmm. is that it focused on let's eat real food, right? Mm -hmm. Let's not eat stuff that is heavily packaged and marketed and processed and so on. But then, of course, people started heavily packaging and processing paleo food, yeah. right? Because now yeah. you have packaged paleo uh, bars and snacks and yeah. all of this stuff. Um, but the but the good foundation part of that movement was let's eat real food. Let's eat right. food that was not processed, you know, not packaged in some way. Um, and then let's eat a variety is the important thing. Um, what what happens with keto, and I get a lot of people telling me this all the time, is like, oh no, I went keto and my inflammation went down and I lost a bunch of weight. Um, my explanation to them often is it's not the fact that you went to only eating fat or predominantly eating fat. It's the fact that you likely cut out a whole bunch of sugar out of your diet. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of times what you do in a keto is you replace the carbohydrates, you replace the, car the, the sugar sources with fat. And, and that in itself can have a significant benefit. You know, and, and same thing with veganism. If you go vegan and you all of a sudden go to just predominantly plants, you're going to see short-term benefit because you're cutting out stuff that had a negative impact on your system. But if you're vegan for more than a year or two, you're going to start seeing severe dysfunction mm -hmm. within your system for the most part, right? You'll start to see uh, nutrient deficiencies and things like that. I've talked to and worked with numerous people that are trying to recover from being vegans because their system, their, their teeth became brittle, their skin got affected, all of these things within them that became low energy uh, producers. And so that's my view in general. And there's going to be a big paper coming out showing the long-term impact on keto, uh, which, which is a, a negative impact mm -hmm. uh, in general. You know, and, and my thing is with people, try not to fall into a camp. Right. You know, try not to fall into a named diet. Again, if the diet has a name to it, um, then it's likely not the the, the be all end all of, of health and wellness. You know, we are omnivores. We're supposed to eat a whole bunch of different things. And to me, the most important thing to focus on is eating the real food component to it. Mm -hmm. You know, less packaged stuff, less processed stuff, and actual food, actual vegetables, clean meats, clean eggs, clean nuts. You know, these things that our ancestors would have foraged, gathered, hunted, and consumed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's always funny. I, <clears throat> the best diet advice I give people, I give it to them for free. I, I should start charging like a dollar or something. Cause I always just tell people, how about we eat like organic plant animal based food and mm -hmm. eat when you're hungry, don't when you're not, uh, Oh, well skipping breakfast. And now we're going to call it intermittent fasting, which is its own diet story. And she's, mm -hmm. ah, why are we overthinking it and overcomplicating mm -hmm. it? And also too, you know, it's certainly very well, established and documented that uh, our diversity of our microbiome is is um, heavily associated with overall better health. And it's like, mm -hmm. how do we encourage diversity of the microbiome? Well, probably diversity with our diet. I don't know. It, it makes sense in my head if I think about it for a second. Right. Totally. Yeah. It does. So, whew. Well, shoot. I mean, we could literally talk all day. I know, I know uh, your time is extremely valuable. So I'd like to briefly talk about the total gut restoration system. 
yeah, to kind of wrap things up a little bit because we've got the spore-based biotics, and then we've got the uh, prebiotic, which I love. I think it's in my drink over here. Then the <laughs> mega mucus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, I love it. So you've created this, and you know, I love your whole product line. And but literally every single new client I get, you know, we we do our intake, we get them started with our little holistic savage lifestyle challenge, crash course, and all the basics. And then, you know, let's get that total gut restoration system. Let's start modulating the microbiome. Let's start working on reconditioning. So I'd love to hear kind of the cliff notes of what this system is. Yeah. So, and the the really important part of it is we kind of took a uh, pragmatic approach to what is happening that leads to that chronic inflammation, right? So like we talked about, most chronic diseases are driven by this chronic low-grade inflammation, yeah. which starts with leakiness in the gut, which also which then starts with dysbiosis. So it's it, all of it comes down to a, a significant disruption in our gut ecology. And that ecology is really important in maintaining the barrier function of our intestines. That's the mucosal barrier and the intestinal epithelium. And the regeneration and the maintenance of those really important barrier systems are dependent on the types of microbes that are in the system and the, ty- and the types of postbiotics or metabolic products that they produce. And so when we look back at, at the, the root cause, the true root cause of most of these chronic illnesses, it all comes down to a dysfunction in the mucosa, a dysfunction in the intestinal epithelium, the lining, which starts with a dysbiosis in the microbiome. And you can follow the pathology really clearly in numerous conditions. You know, one of the things I do when I, um, when I do my total gut restoration talk is I show the meta-analysis papers that have reduced the true root cause of all of these um, seemingly unconnected chronic illnesses to the same cause, you know, things like autoimmune disease and, and reflux and diabetes and cardiovascular disease and obesity, you know, no one would have ever thought that their reflux has the same root cause as their anxiety, right? You would have never thought that your diabetes has the same root cause as your dementia uh, risk. You know, all of these things go together hand in hand. And so the total gut restoration is just a process of systematically reversing the dysfunction because the dysfunction starts with dysbiosis, a low diversity, low keystone strains, which are these really important uh, members of your microbiota that play a, a, a disproportionately important role in maintaining the ecology and the structure and function of the system. Those are like acromantia, fecalum bacteria, rumnococcus. Um, these important keystone strains are the ones that are inversely correlated with chronic illnesses. And there's numerous papers in, uh, in the longitudinal studies to show this. And so we went back and said, okay, can we start by fixing the dysbiosis? And can we increase diversity in the microbiome? Can we bring back these keystone strains? And can we increase the important postbiotics that they actually produce to maintain the structure of the system? And that's where the megaspore comes in. We formulated megaspore six, seven years ago with the idea that it may do this, mm-hmm. right? It was just purely by scientific rationale. We didn't have the data yet at the time. Um, but now we, we actually, and this study just published, I think in the last month, um, which, which, uh, which is a study, I think there's seven of us that are authors on the paper. We've shown that when you combine the megaspore and the prebiotic, you actually significantly increase diversity in the microbiome by about 40%, and you significantly increase the growth of these important keystone strains. 
So we're reversing the preliminary dysfunction, which is the dysbiosis. Mm-hmm. And then as we start to reverse that preliminary dysfunction, which is dysbiosis, we start to see that the mucosal layer and the, and the integrity of the intestinal lining starts to come back. And, then, and so that's the first two steps of the total gut restoration is the spore-based probiotic, the megaspore, which starts the fixing of the dysbiosis. Once we've given it enough time, which is typically three or four weeks, in an average individual, some people need to go longer if they've, if they've needed to taper up on the megaspore for a while because of Herxheimer reactions and so on. Um, once they get up to that full two-cap-a-day dose for three or four weeks, they are now already making a significant shift in that microbial community where we can bring in the prebiotic that we've designed to specifically feed those keystone strains. We can bring in the prebiotic to reinforce that positive change within the microbiome. And then once you have that new community structure in your microbiome, that community structure that's associated with health, we can then provide it the tools that it requires to rebuild the mucosal layer and the tight junctions, which are certain types of amino acids, polyphenols, the IgG, and the other things that we've put into the mucosal rebuilding system. So it's a simple three-step process to fixing the dysbiosis, to creating a new community structure within your microbiome, specifically a community structure that's associated with uh, with health and reducing that chronic illness, uh, that chronic um, inflammation, and then providing that new community structure with the tools they need to repair that gut lining um, and and do so in a more permanent fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a it's a it's a simple a simple approach, but it just required kind of out of the box thinking and just mm-hmm. going back to the basics of where are we going wrong and is do we have tools to repair this? Um, and and fortunately, as it turns out, the tools are working to repair it. Yeah. And, you know, it's so brilliant and it's it's amazing what can happen when we use low critical thinking and evidence and, and all of that. Cause I just think about <laughs> one of my things I'm super passionate about is, is I feel like functional medicine is a little bit too much uh, of a luxury. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's expensive to work with a practitioner privately. And, um, you know, we mentioned kind of a kitchen sink approach and I see a lot of practitioners that take a shotgun approach, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, right. well, yeah. Um, it's kind of like a lawyer, like here's my down payment of thousands of dollars and we're going to run like 10 different tests. And, you know, I like to be a little bit more of the, the mindset of like, well, sometimes less is more Mm -hmm. work upstream, upstream, upstream. Um, and that's what I love. So I haven't even, I haven't talked to you since it it started, but I'm developing a, uh, advanced clinical course right now. And it's, it's going to be, uh, featuring a lot of microbiome goodness in there. Um, but that's the beautiful thing is I love to, you know, I'll do my initial testing, primarily organic acids and some blood chemistry. And yeah, you know, you, you might see, oh, you know, their insulin levels are at like 15 and their C-reactive protein is, you know, 10 and, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever. Um, but it's beautiful where I I do have all sorts of document case studies of, well, gosh, we didn't even really like start a protocol. We put them through the gut restoration system. We did the basics with their lifestyle and then, oh, Oh my gosh, they're insulin, they're C-reactive, you know, everything. Right. Just, and, and that's the beautiful part about it is just like, well, again, let's keep working. Uh, but, you know, that's what I'm getting at, though, is I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, I, I feel very passionate in, in um, you know, synergistic with your mission uh, in that what you're doing is helping a lot of people at a much lower price point. Because you look at the total gut restoration system of like $150 if you're buying all of them individually and stuff. And it's like what that can do 
for their overall health, you know, compared to, I mean, even just a stool test is like $500. Totally. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy, yeah. you know, and, and, and then of course that's a whole separate conversation, but, right. um, you know, I just, I love what you're doing, have, have the utmost respect for you. And, uh, certainly, you know, a little bit of role model, I'll admit, I'll admit it's so cool. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate that. And, it, uh, and, you know, and, and I think the more practitioners kind of follow your, your path, um, I think it's going to impact more, more lives. And, and, you know, one of the limitations of functional medicine, like you mentioned, is that it is expensive. Yeah. Right. And so then we end up with this normal, which is, which is unfortunately normal societal dysfunction where, you know, people who have means have the, have access to health. Right. And, and that's how our system works. Um, the, so the people that end up suffering the most are the people that who don't have means. So they don't have means to buy the healthy food. They don't have means to be in a healthier environment. Uh, and then now they don't have the means to the type of medicine that can actually help them, right. which is functional medicine, right? So, so in in part, the way we look at it um, is is how do we make it more simplistic? How do we make it so that if someone can't afford to spend thousands of dollars with a functional medicine practitioner, is there something they can do yeah. um, that that can actually have an impact on their overall health, on their kids' health, and so on? And that's where this kind of system kind of came from. Is let's let's simplify it to some degree, and 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 provide people with a tool that they can use that that can have an overall impact on their on their health. Um, but you know, and then this kind of free information that. Yeah. that you know, you yourself and a lot of people put out there is also critical, yeah. you know, because if you can't afford to go see a functional medicine practitioner and a doctor, you can tune in to a free podcast yeah. and listen and gain some understanding and gain some knowledge um, and advocate for yourself. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's extremely important what you're doing uh, as well as, you know, spending your time and doing these kind of recordings, I think is uh, really critical because, not you know what I do will never impact anyone unless I have a conduit to get it out to people like through yourself. So you know I really um, appreciate the opportunities to be able to do this as well. Absolutely, I mean I'm honored. And again, I mean you're you're a perfect guest. Like literally when it was like, all right, we're going to get this podcast going. Uh, we're we're going to get this off the ground. You know, my first list of uh, you know like five names. I'm like, we've got to get Quran on here. Um, so it's super exciting. So I'm sure you're traveling all over the rest of the world and hopefully, uh, well, I know we'll run into each other at least once. We're both speaking yes. at the FDN conference. Woo. Looking forward to it. Remember. Are you, are you able to come to the microbiome keynotes in September? I sure hope so. I might be, uh, selected to go to the conference in Denver, the environmental health thing. Oh yeah. Okay. Same weekend, but I, I threw my name on the list of like microbiome keynotes, please pick me. So um, I'm going to try to make it there. I would love to, because I remember talking in New York and there's going to be some serious swag at that thing. Yes. It's going to be the swag bag is, uh, has, will have a retail value, I think of, of over $500. Um, and, uh, and then, and then you also get $150 in product credit, um, which, which comes with the uh, registration fee. Um, but if you're able to come, let me know. I'm happy to, to, uh, provide you a free registration anyway. Um, cause the more, you know, people we have, cause one of the things we're designing around this is just, there's, there's a lot of time where we're, where we're collaborating and, you know, having these kind of mini masterminds with the speakers that we're bringing that are 
kind of top-notch researchers in the microbiome world, um, some of which, some of whom we're, we're actually working with right now on research projects. And what we're trying to do is kind of bridge the gap between the, the researchers out there in the academic world who are doing the microbiome research and the clinicians that are practicing mm-hmm. the, the microbiome therapeutics, yeah. you know, because there's a big, what, what we call translational gap between research and, and clinical practice. And one of our goals as a company is to bridge that gap. And so there's, there's a lot of setup in the, in the conference for people to collaborate and talk. And, you know, and, and I love your worldview on how functional medicine should be, should be practiced. And I think that can, you know, those kind of discussions will have a significant impact on what researchers are studying. Um, in order to make what they're studying more practical and tangible for people that are practicing it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's what we're hoping to facilitate um, out of this conference. So I, I'd be honored if you're there and, you know, you're there to participate in discussions and all that. So if, you, if you're able to come, if you don't have conflict, let me know. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll send you an official invite to come. Uh, I'll, I'm just going to say it now. I'm, I'm, I got to be at this thing. I can't not go, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. My, my jam. Yeah. Awesome. Well, shoot, man. I, I so appreciate your time. Um, I really do think this super valuable information. Um, we'll definitely have a nice little link for the Total Gut Restoration System. I've, you know I've got all those products on, on the site. Um, but again, you know, safe travels wherever you're headed next, out doing Thank amazing things. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll uh, be in touch soon, my friend. Thank you for the opportunity, Brandon. We'll take yeah. care. Yeah, see you, man. See ya.